This morning we'll be looking at um, Psalm 115, verse 1. 115, verse 1, although we will look at the context as well. Uh, my wife just asked me about the app, the Bible reading app, so I thought I'd just give a little plug for the Version Bible reading app. If, if you're not in apps, that's fine. You can do paper stuff. It's all good. But um, if you want an app, there's all kinds of reading plans on there that you can do. And it kind of checks it off for you, and you can even hit play, and you can listen to it, and it's all, it's all a lot of fun. So I like it that it just keeps a record for me, and I don't have to find my paper. I, I've lost those papers before and had to figure out where am I in all this. But um, it's totally up to you how you might want to uh, begin reading the Scriptures in, in terms of following a plan. Um, what are your hopes and dreams for 2019? Have you thought about that? I know I've asked people questions about that over the last couple weeks, but what are your dreams and visions for 2019? Do you have goals? Do you have desires? What are they? One of the issues that we all face is that we are, if we're not watchful over those desires, they can cause, cause us to kind of go askew. They can control us, they can own us, they can devour us. And, we, and they can be things that are good even. But that's the danger we face. How many in here have seen The Greatest Showman? I'm just curious. Raise your hand. Oh, a big, vast majority of you. Okay, great. It came out in 2017, and I will say it's, it's a musical. If you're not into musicals, I get it. I understand. But if you're okay with that, it's a good movie to see. Um, it does communicate some obvious, like, politi- politically correct things. Um, you know, in, in, as it's cast, as, as it's unfolding, but really, there's a lot of gospel shadows there as well. That are, if you stop and think about it, they're pr- pretty profound. So, if you haven't seen it this morning, I'm going to give away. A, a, I've waited this long to use this illustration. Actually, when I first saw this movie, I'm like, "Oh, this is oh, this is so good right here." Mm, I'm going to use this. I got to wait for a while though until people see it. Really, it's just been a while. But so if you haven't seen it, I'm sorry. I'm going to blow a major portion of it for you this morning. Um, in the movie, uh, Barnum, P.T. Barnum, the circus master, meets the beautiful and the extraordinarily talented Jenny Lynn while he was in England. And so he charms her. He says, will you come to America? And I will not only make you the greatest star in Europe, I'll make you the greatest star in the world. And so she came. And she drew quite a gathering. It was the audience he had always desired to have at one of his performances. It was the people that he wanted to always have adore him. And they had come to hear the the, uh, angelic voice from across the sea. He was bringing them magnificence. At least he hoped because the movie had never heard her sing before. And so as the curtain raised, she's standing there on stage. Barnum nervously watches from the side. He's, he's nervous. He's hoping this is all going to go well. And as she begins to sing, she did not disappoint. As she began to sing, the audience was captured by the magnificence of her voice. And it was obvious that Barnum was also captured. And so was she. 
as she sang, she cast a glance at him, and you knew from that point in the movie, as she sang, all the shine of a thousand spotlights, all the stars we steal from the night sky will never be enough. It was obvious that in her mind, she thought, all oh, that may not be enough, but he is. She was taken by Barnum. What might not be enough was enough in him. Barnum, however, was enamored by something totally different. He was enamored by the fact that she made him shine. This really came out as Lynn's desires for Barnum were made public and and Barnum's wife, uh, Charity, found out. He exclaimed to her, "I, I am not in love with her. I am not in love with her. Charity's reply reply back to him was on point. Of course you're not. You're not with her. You're not with me. You're not with anyone. Just you and your show. Hopes, dreams, visions, desires, they can control us. They can own us. They can devour us. So the question is, is, how should our hope be in this year? How should we focus our desires on our companies, our stocks, our leadership, uh, the power of our own hands? Where can we place our confidence? For 2019, we're going to have a year verse as a church to set our focus for this year as we endeavor to know Christ and to make it known. So let's open our Bibles to Psalm 115, please. Open your Bibles to Psalm 115. And we're going to read the first verse. Um, Then we'll continue in a moment. Hear the Word of God. Verse 1. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to Your name give glory for the sake of Your steadfast love and Your faithfulness. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that it is truth to us. We thank You that it gives us vision and direction and hope. That it gives us a focal point of of all of life, which is Christ Jesus our Lord. As You have revealed Him, You have revealed Yourself. So Father, draw us ever closer to You. Help us to understand this passage, uh, this psalm as a whole, as we seek to apply it to our lives. Pray that you guide us in that by your Spirit. Amen. So now before we get into what this verse has for us today, let's consider the context a little bit. So I want you to think of it this way. Anytime that we begin to read a passage, a verse specifically, anytime we begin to meditate upon that verse, anytime we might desire to memorize that verse, we need to understand the context. Um, I figured out pretty young in my Christian life, people would say, well, you need to memorize this verse. And I would memorize it, and I would be thinking about, how does this apply to my life? And I would be thinking about it in a certain direction. And then, as I grew in my faith, I would come back to that verse maybe later, and I would read the context, and I would think, that verse didn't mean anything like that at all in God's Word. I took it totally out of context. I changed it into this. And so we need to really have an understanding lots of times 
or all the time, of our uh, verses in context of the Word. As we used to, as I used to say in Bible college, context is king. And so we just need to remember that context is king when we come to read God's Word. So let's look at the context of Psalm 115 just a little bit. And as we go along in the passage, I'm going to give you some broad outline scheme of it, okay? So you can have it in your mind. The first section is praise to God, and that's in in verses 1 through 3. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all he pleases. So there's the first section there, praise to him. Now he moves into idols and those who trust in them. Verse 4, their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Noses, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not feel. Feet, but they do not walk. They do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. That's very interesting language there, isn't it? So he's talking about idols in the world. And in their day and time... Well, the context of this I'll talk about in a moment, but you know, they lived in a world where they saw idols made, okay? And if today, if you if we don't see that much in America, but I'm telling you, it's growing and growing. If you go down to Russell Creek Park on a Sunday afternoon and you walk around there, you will see people from other countries everywhere. And if you look in the pond around that 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 area, you'll see idols in that pond. It's amazing. Idols, things that people worship. It's crazy. But we, as Americans, have different idols that we need to wrestle with. So we'll talk about that as well. The next section, the third section, is the Lord and those who trust them. The Lord, I'm sorry, who trust Him. The Lord and those who trust Him. So in verse 9, O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who trust in the Lord, He is their help and their shield. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. May the Lord give you increase and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. So here he's focusing on the the Lord and those who trust in Him. And then in verse 16, he closes out the psalm with praise. Just general praise. Idols, people who trust in the Lord, now praise Him. He says in verse 16, The heavens are the Lord's servants, but the earth He has given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Kind of a little, you guys might remember if you had children back a long time ago, little salty praisers, you know, praise the Lord, that type of thing. Do you remember that, children? A little salty, singing some songs, never mind. Okay. Like the other Psalms in this section, let's get a little bit more feel of what's going on here. Like other Psalms in this section, the writer and occasion are unknown. And so obviously the commentators are divided on the issue of occasion. 
They don't know, and then they conjecture, and even the outlines. I had several outlines of this passage that I looked at from different commentators, and they all look different because some people view it differently. And so, like, for example, when verse 2 reads, why should the nation say, where is their God? Does this imply that the people of God are in some disarray before the taunting world and ask the time-honored question, What about your good name, Lord? Could that be the occasion? Or perhaps secondly, perhaps this is an occasion as as it unfolds as a recent victory that has been won. The enemy, strong in its idols, may have taunted the people whose God is invisible, but they won the victory. And so this psalm was written. Do you see how it may be looked at that way as an occasion? Or could it be that the occasion is dwelling on the occupation of Canaan? The battles were hard, but the victory was the Lord's. Pagans were exposed as devotees to uh, gods that did not live. And the Lord is revealed as faithful and sovereign and disposer of all. Whatever the case may be, and that's the thing that I find interesting about the, the Bible, especially the Psalms. Whatever the case may be, the Psalms could speak into any of those particular situations in our lives. Whether we're facing enemy or we've had victory. Whatever the case is, we could sing the Psalm. And so this Psalm conveys a sense of need as well as a deep trust in the Lord's ability to care for the needs of His people. It was one of the Egyptians, Egyptian Hillel Psalms, uh, which were Psalms 113 through 118. And, and these were sung during the annual feasts. They would gather and they would sing these Psalms. These Psalms appear as an act of uh, antiphonal worship. What that means is, is it's like our readings when we, we begin our worship, we do I read and then you respond back. If you look at the text in verse 9, think about it this way. Choirs there before the Lord of the temple. And so someone reads, O Israel, trust in the Lord. And then the choir sings back. He is their help and their shield. And then maybe you have another choir start in. Oh, house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. And the second choir starts singing. He is their help and their shield. And then at the end of of that section, He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both great and small. And so it looks like the psalm was set up to be that type of a singing psalm. So whether it's sung, whether it's read, whether you use this in your prayer time and pray it in your prayer time, again, it conveys a sense of need, a well, deep trust in the Lord and His ability to care for the needs of His people. And this applies to all sorts of situations that we may face It is a psalm for the community in the midst of a world of nations who trust in the gods that they have made. People are saying here in this psalm, we are a people who identify, um, sorry, we are people who uh, have an identity and a destiny that are defined by our trust in you. And the world calls you into question. So Lord, It's an activity of your steadfast love and faithfulness to care for us. Give yourself glory. Reveal yourself as sovereign. 
Not for us, but for your own sake. So when you look at it and you think about it, the psalm is concerned with the problem of faith. It's concerned with the problem of hope. It's concerned with the problem of confidence. And it has much to say about our lives as we look at this next year and even beyond. The psalm then, as we will divide it up today, this one verse, uh, chapter 15, verse 1, as we look at the verse today, we're going to consider three things. First of all, we're going to consider how this psalm calls us to set ourselves aside Set our self-righteousness aside. Secondly, we're going to see how it calls us to put our hope in our great God. And then finally, it will be for His glory alone. So those are the three things we're going to see from this verse. So as we think about that verse, not unto us, O Lord, but to Your name give glory for for the sake of Your steadfast love and faithfulness. How might that apply to us? The first one is is that it calls us to set aside our self-righteousness. If you look back at verse 1 and how it begins, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, that is the call to the mindset that we are to have as God's people. One of the stories that... Um, even since I was a young Christian, I, I sort of looked at and had a mindset of was uh, concerned a glimpse of the life of John the Baptist. Now, if you remember in John chapter 3, Jesus met with Nicodemus. So John's already baptized Jesus. Uh, Jesus has already started his public ministry at this point. He goes and he goes to you know Jerusalem at that time, and he meets Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes at night, and after that, Jesus leaves and he goes into the Judean hills, uh, countryside part, and he begins to baptize people there. John tells us. Well, John the Baptist was also in that area. And he's baptizing people as well. And so what happened is, is there's a discussion. And you can understand that, right? You've had John the baptizer. He's baptizing people. And he's drawing all these people to him. All these people are coming from all these places. And they're like, let's hear. this. The Lord's doing something here. Let's go hear from Him. And then Jesus comes on the scene. And so there's this discussion. Um, and, and, and some guys come to Him and they say, Rabbi, He who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness. Remember what John said? This is the Son of God. I'm unworthy to untie His shoes. I mean, you know, He's it. He's the Messiah. So this guy now, he's baptizing and everybody's going to Him instead of you. So it's almost like there's this jealousy thing going on. Like, what are you going to do about that, John? What's this about? What are we supposed to know in this? Maybe it's more that. Maybe it's more curiosity. How did this come about? Listen to John's answer beginning in verse 29 of chapter 3. Listen to what he says. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before Him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears Him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase. I must decrease. That is incredible, isn't it? 
Think about that. That is what we're hearing here in this psalm as well. Not unto us, O Lord. Not unto us. So the question is, what do we have that is not from God? Have we received any mercy? Have we gained any success in life? We must never assume the glory of any of it to ourselves. On the contrary, we are bound to ascribe it wholly to the living God. So we must not imagine that we could do anything for God by our own strength or deserve anything from God by our own righteousness. But all the good that we do is done in the power of His grace. And all the good that we have is the gift of His mere mercy. And therefore, He must have all praise. And so what this verse compels us to is, is to look into the earlier portions of Scripture where um, in Deuteronomy, the Word says, the power of my hand has gotten me this wealth. That's what the people were saying. That's not true. We can't think that way. Or, for my righteousness, the Lord has done great, these great and kind things for me. We can't think like that. We're not to think that way. No, as Matthew Henry so rightly puts it, all of our songs must be sung to this humble tune. Not unto us, O Lord. And again, not unto us, but to Thy name. Let all the glory be given for whatever good is wrought in us or wrought for us. It is for His mercy and His truth's sake because He will glorify His mercy and fulfill His promise. All of our crowns must be cast at the feet of Him that sits upon the throne, for that is the proper place for them. That must be our mindset. So this year, as we pray, we pray not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto Your name, give glory. As we read His Word, we pray, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto You and Your name give glory. As we minister, we minister to Him saying, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to Your name give glory. As we work at our various vocations, we say, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto Your name give glory. Whether it be in the mundane everyday life, or in a victory won, or a, or a battle's lost, when we're waking up or when we're getting ready to retire, we say, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto Your name give glory. Do you get that? Did I say it enough? Maybe this would be a good verse for you to memorize. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto You give glory. So first, we are called to set aside our self-righteousness. But secondly, we are called to put on hope in the name of our great God. So let us put hope in our great God as our second point. All of our hopes must be put upon His free favor. It's it, Him. He is good. He is good. This week, um, on our uh, Thursday morning men's group, um, we've recently begun to read through Table Talk magazine as we study together. And, um, you know, you just it's a daily devotion, so we're reading that and we're looking at it, and then 
um, you come and you're just prepared to discuss it. And it really just, you know, it's unlike a book where the, the topic is focused. It, it's a lot broader than that. It's been very interesting. I wasn't sure how this would turn out, but it's been very interesting. And people have, have brought different things and uh, have pointed out uh, things that really touched them. It, it's really good. But one of the things that I saw this past week in reading was in Joshua 1, 1 through 5. And um, the writer of the devotion noted that God's commission to Joshua makes several key points. And you may remember these as you think back to Joshua uh, chapter 1. First of all, the land of Canaan was God's gracious gift to Israel. It was a gift. Here's the land. It wasn't something that the people had merited. They didn't earn it. It was a gift. Okay. The second thing that the writer said that we should think about is this. The land was a gift. That the land was a gift did not mean that the people would possess it effortly. So they would have to go into the land to fight against the Canaans to possess their God-given inheritance. So it's a gift, but there's still some responsibility there that they were required to carry out in order to receive that gift. It's not like salvation. This is the land, okay? So this is the land. It's different than salvation, but this is what's going on in the text of Joshua. But third, and this is like salvation, Third, and this is an important thing I want you to understand and hear here, this possession will be a consequence, finally, of their faith, not their fighting. It will be a consequence of their faith and not their fighting to conquer Canaan. They first had to believe that God would be with them as He has promised. And so what God was saying here to Joshua was, be courageous, be strong, be, but make that in me. And I will give you the land. You will conquer it. That was the hope that we have. Do you see why some may say that the occasion of this psalm may be about dwelling on the occupation of Canaan? The battles were hard, but the victory was the Lord's. The Canaanites were exposed as devotees of dead gods and the Lord was revealed as faithful and sovereign disposer of all. And so the question is this, as we look back upon history, and if you look back upon the history of Israel, you see it time and time and time again. People turn, God calls them to, to repent, and in His strength they do. And in His strength, they turn and they look to Him again. It's just like this, especially in Judges. You see the cycle over and over again, but it continued on until through the exile. He punished them through exile. But then what does He do? He says, I will not, if you remember Amos, I will not utterly destroy you. There will be a remnant. And that remnant will be saved. And what do we have come out of that? Jesus Christ. The One who is the King and conqueror of all. And so the question is, as we look upon biblical history, and when we're in the midst of history, sometimes it's hard for us to see because we face all the heartache and all the pain and all the struggle. But the issue is this. He's always been victorious, hasn't He? His is a kingdom that is continuing to expand. It's like a question I could ask is, are the gates of hell able to prevail against His kingdom? 
Do you understand what that term means? I mean, the gates of hell prevail. It's, it's, it's this idea that the gates of hell are behind this fortress and they bring up the big rammer thing that rams into the gates. And what the Lord is saying there, and it's Jesus that's saying that, the gates of hell will not prevail against the kingdom of God as if the kingdom of God are always at the gates banging on the, the gate and the gate's going to crash. And so what that means, Brian Fisher, is one day there will be no more abortion. That's exactly what that means, brother. One day there will be no more. God's kingdom is real and it's coming. And so do you have a deep trust in the ability of the Lord to take care of all your needs and the needs of His people? Oh, we fret. Oh, we run around. Oh, we, we, we rub our hands together and, and we throw up prayers and all these various things out of desperation and not out of this trust in the Lord that He is good and He's going to do these things. So I ask you, is your hope in princes or him? Is your hope in him or handling your own situation? Is your hope in your checkbook or the God who owns a thousand cattle on a thousand hills? Take note of where your heart draws you every day. You have to be thoughtful about where is my heart being drawn? What is my heart being drawn to? You have to be thoughtful to that. Pay attention to your trusting in that which has no true power. And then as Martin Luther said, because this is what we need to do, is we see those things in our lives daily, every moment, we repent and we turn to Him. We repent and we turn to put our hope in God. So brothers and sisters in Christ, put your hope in Him. Now this psalm calls us to set aside, first of all, our self-righteousness. It calls us to put our hope in our great God. And then finally, we are called to do this for His glory alone. So let's do this for His glory alone. We are His church. And we must have an eye to His glory more to that to our own benefit in it. Lots of times that's what we do is we look for our own benefit in His glory. But what we need to do is to change that in our minds and be looking to Him alone. And so when we pray, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to Your name, give glory for the sake of Your steadfast love and faithfulness, it shows how conscious the writer was in his own shortcomings. It communicates uh, to the people that their prayers, um, if their prayers should happen to be rejected a hundred times, they would have no complaint against Him because it was all for His glory to begin with. So that's how we have to live. Uh, The people were singing, as they were singing this song, they're essentially saying, Lord, be our caring God. Provide greatness for us, but not that we may have the credit or comfort in it, but that Your mercy and truth may have the glory of it. This must be our highest and ultimate end in our prayers and in our thoughts and in our lives. This verse is not unlike the first petition of the Lord's Prayer that we read earlier, is it? Notice the guiding force of the prayer. Hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name in order that you, Father God, may give us our daily bread, etc., etc. 
It is for His glory and His glory alone whether our prayers be answered like we desire or not. So whether our desires and even our needs are met, whatever becomes of us, our mantra should be, unto Thy name give glory. But we do have a problem, don't we? We do have a problem in that. We're, we're a lot like Barnum, aren't we? And, and, and that song uh, that, that, that uh, uh, Jenny Lynn's saying kind of reveals our struggle, doesn't it? The conversation that Barnum had with his wife, Charity, it, it, it kind of reveals it, doesn't it? That we believe the show is all about us. And we have a great problem. But here's the thing though. For this verse, and you have to think of it this way, is not only for, notice that, it's not only for the sake of His steadfast love and faithfulness that we live for His glory, but because, not just for, but because of His steadfast love and faithfulness. So what I'm saying to you is this, is only in Christ Jesus are we able to do all for His glory because Christ has already done it for us. Isn't that great? That in Christ we are given everything we need to live for the Father's glory. You see, all the... Shine of a thousand spotlights. All the stars we steal from the night sky will never be enough. It will never be enough. Towers of gold are still too little. Our hands could hold the world. But it'll never be enough. It will never be enough. But He is. He is enough. Christ is enough. He has been raised from the dead that we would see beyond the glitter of this world's idols and know the One who is enough. And so will you trust in Him? Will you glorify Him? Will you look to Him to fulfill your desires, your needs, your destiny for His glory? Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to Your name give glory for the sake of Your steadfast love and Your faithfulness. And as the psalmist ends the psalm, blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word to us this morning. We thank You for its truth. We ask that You would help us, Father, to... um, to have our minds set on Your glory. How difficult and how hard it is, Lord, but this is what You've called us to. But if we look beyond our flesh, if we look to the risen Savior Jesus, we have all we need to glorify You. So thank You for Jesus. May we dive deeply into Him this year, knowing that in Him we glorify You in all we do. We thank You, Father. In Christ's name, Amen.